Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Raw Prospect Podcast. Today, we are doing X-Factor players from every NFL contending team, but specifically X-Factor players that you have not thought of yet. These are underrated players that will be swing factors in how far each of these team, each of these 10 teams will go in the playoffs in January and February. And we've had some discussion to prepare for this episode, and we really hope you enjoy it. Make sure to stay tuned. Make sure to leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you have not already. If you're listening on audio platforms, leave us a five-star rating and review. That would really help us out. And we'll get straight into this thing. Joining me from Houston, Texas, the Stack King himself, Mr. Wa- Mr. Michael Ween. How you doing, man? I'm doing really good. Uh First of all, welcome in. To those of you tuning in live, please engage with us in the chat. We would love that. Whether you want to ask us questions about what we're talking about, voice your opinion, or just say hello, we appreciate all of it. Make sure you do what it says there on your screen, like and subscribe, share it with your friends. We greatly appreciate that. We're trying to put out as much great content as we can for you guys. So please uh, do whatever you can to help us with engagement. Uh, We would greatly appreciate that. Today we're going to be talking about, as Emmy said, X-Factor players that you probably haven't really thought of yet for all these NFL contending teams that are either Bonafide Super Bowl contenders, or will definitely probably most likely be in the playoffs. Right. Um, before we get to that, I have a segment that I need to get to, but I can save it for the end. It's a ne- it's a more negative. There's more negativity surrounding this particular segment, and then I have also have a couple shout outs that I that I'd like to give tonight. Um, so. One's got to go at the beginning and one's got to go at the end. The shout-outs are positive. The negativity is negative. Which one would you like first? Um, I, honestly, I mean, I think it, I think it's relevant. So let, let's start with, you know, I mean, it's your team. Let's, let's get into this thing. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to shy away from it. Um, and it's a game that just happened today. It's, it's fresh in our minds. Um, let's hear your thoughts on your Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Well, I'll make this – give me two minutes. I'll make this quick. I think, respectfully, it's time for a change in Pittsburgh. Uh, Notice how I said respectfully. It's time for change in the Steel City. I think Mike Tomlin's time in Pittsburgh is finally up, whether it's at the end of this season or if they give him one more year and it's at the end of next year his time is basically up in Pittsburgh and here's why. Um, I think this partnership is stale. Um, first of all, let's start with what's happened the past month. The Steelers were six and three at one point this year, and they were in the thick of not only the AFC North race, but the race for the playoffs. Like they were looking like a playoff team. Um, and that was of course with Kenny Pickett at quarterback. But in the last month, 
They've lost to Dorian Thompson Robinson on the road. And to be fair, that's a really good Cleveland Browns defense. It was on the road. Uh, but the Steelers had their chances in that game, and they should not have lost to Dorian Thompson Robinson making his second or third start in the league, uh, in my opinion. The next week, they went on the road, and they beat the Bengals with Drake Browning. Give them credit for doing so. Um, and that's, I guess, the one area I can kind of hang my hat on right now is that the Steelers are 3-1 and one in the AFC North. Now, they're going to play the Bengals again next week. And um, they're also going to play the Ravens, I think, at the very end of this season. Uh, and who knows, maybe the Ravens are locked into a playoff spot at that point, and they're not playing many of their main contributors and or starters. But the last three weeks is really where the disaster has happened. They lost at home to a two-win Arizona team with Kyler Murray, but a two-win Arizona team. And in that game wasn't close. They were outplayed. I believe they lost the game by two touchdowns. That's inexcusable. But the more inexcusable part was to lose the following Thursday to another two-win team at home with Bailey Zappi starting at quarterback with a Patriots team that up until that point, the past couple weeks, was inept offensively. They scored zero points against the Los Angeles Chargers, who just – allowed 63 points to the Las Vegas Raiders. And then this week, today, they lose to Gardner Minshew. Minshew's totally capable as a quarterback, uh, but that game wasn't close. They got they got destroyed. They took a 13-0 lead, and the Colts went on to score 30 unanswered points. It's just not the Steelers. Um, yeah. That's just this year. The, the most inexcusable part of that all is losing to two-win team, two-win team, back-to-back -back weeks. Bailey Zappi and Kyler Murray. Um, to finish this whole thing, I think Tomlin's a really good coach. Um, but two things can be true. I think this partnership is stale. He's now going on what looks to be seven seasons without one playoff win. Not one playoff win in seven seasons in Pittsburgh. Uh, this is the Pittsburgh Steelers we're talking about. Uh, that will be the longest drought of no playoff wins in franchise history in the Super Bowl era. It's no longer defensible at this point. Um, in the last 12 seasons, Tomlin has three playoff victories, and they came against Matt Moore at quarterback, Alex Smith at quarterback, and A.J. McCarron at quarterback. Uh, he's also lost to Tebow and Blake Bortles and Baker Mayfield. Um, he's now 0-6-1 in his last six games facing rookie head coaches, first-time NFL head coaches. And when you look at his coaching tree, where is it? Andy Reid has a really good coaching tree. Uh, Kyle Shanahan has a coaching tree. Bill Belichick has a coaching tree. Mike Tomlin does not have a coaching tree. Name one Tomlin assistant that's been hired elsewhere in the past five years, aside from Brian Flores. And that was a unique situation. Uh, name one competent offensive coordinator, aside from Bruce Arians, that Tomlin has hired in his tenure in Pittsburgh. I just, I feel like it's a stubbornness to adapt offensively. His defenses are good, 
but not willing to go out, be aggressive, hire young, yeah. offensive, innovative minds. Uh, and look, the streak of non-losing seasons is great, but that's not the standard in Pittsburgh. The standard in Pittsburgh has always been winning playoff games, getting to the playoffs, winning games, getting to the Super Bowl every once in a while, being in AFC championship games. And that's just not – it's just not working out. 17 good years. He's a good coach. He'll get a job elsewhere, no doubt. He, he might do really well elsewhere. I'm not even denying that. Uh, but I think he needs a fresh start elsewhere, and I think the Steelers need a fresh start. And I said that as respectfully and as calm as I can. Yeah, I mean, I, you made a lot of great points there. Hey, here, here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll keep this brief as well. Um, I think the last three weeks – just are indicative of where the NFL is right now. And especially tonight, you see the, the coach on the other side, Shane Steichen, first year head coach, offensive mind, having a absolute play calling masterclass against a Steelers defense. That is, let's be real. I mean, it's, it's vanilla. It's cover two. They're like, we're going to play cover two and we're going to do what we do. And you know that we're going to do cover two. Um, and it works. A lot, and to their credit, they they have the players to get it done in most games. But against a offensive mind to Shane Steichen's caliber, he's going to rip that up. Um, and it's just, I think tonight really just leaves you wanting more as a Steelers fan. And I've had that feeling before um, with you know. Jason Garrett at the helm or Wade Phillips at the helm for my Cowboys, or even at times with Mike McCarthy at the helm for my Cowboys, even though this year it's been much, much better uh, with Mike McCarthy. Um, so I, I do agree with you there. Um, absolutely. And I think, you know, regardless of, you know, I think the counterpoint would be, Oh, like this roster isn't quite there or blah, blah, blah. But I think regardless of that, you like the partnership is stale. There's no question about that. I think that's the basically the bottom line end of story. I think that's really the main issue. And I think doing the same thing over and over is just, I mean, it's the definition of insanity. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. Do you have anything to add on anything I said there? Not really. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say is the only way I think you can keep Tomlin in another year if this thing doesn't totally fall apart uh, the last three weeks of the season. And look, I mean, they're playing Cincinnati. They're going to play Seattle, who right now isn't a very good good team. And then they might play Baltimore, uh, who might, who knows, be resting uh, some valuable starters at that point. But maybe not because they – may need to they meet they may need that week to not just maybe I think they have the division locked up but they might need that week to maybe lock up say the number one seat who knows at right. this point um the one thing I'll say is I think the one if you're gonna keep Tomlin for say one more year you've got to allow him to go outside the organization and to make some home run hires on this coaching staff yes. Uh, you have to go be aggressive and get the next 
big thing at offensive coordinator, someone who's going to do something totally different on offense. The pieces are in place. Like, I think we can make a move or two to improve the offensive line. Mason Cole just isn't cutting it at center. Uh, I think you probably – I'm not sure what they're going to do with Najee Harris at this point. I like Jalen Warren. I think you can get a good back in, like, the third or fourth round of the draft. Uh, And the Steelers, I mean, they – the one thing they have done well is draft offensive skill position talent. Like that's not something I necessarily worry about. Um, But you have to allow him to go get at least the offensive coordinator and maybe some new position coaches. I think the offensive line coaches stale. There's really been real. There hasn't been any significant improvement there. It's kind of just been steady. Okay. Offensive line play the entire year. Um, I think you could probably move off Deontay Johnson at this point and just go get another receiver in the draft uh, because it's going to be a a loaded receiver class. Um, But you have to let him go make moves to try and salvage this. And maybe next year with a new offensive coordinator, you get to see what pick it is. And then if that doesn't work out, then you just move off Tomlin. And keep in mind, you don't have to fire Tomlin. You can trade the head coach. Now, that doesn't happen very often in the league, but it's an option there. And I think you could coop some value for Tomlin. He's one of those guys who I think the teams who are going to have head coaching vacancies would line up for. Um, so that's the last thing I'll say. We'll talk about it more when we get closer to the offseason. We'll see where the, the next three weeks takes us with Pittsburgh, but it's not good right now. Uh, I've actually unfollowed some of my Steelers accounts on Twitter because I just can't, I can't wallow in the negativity right now. So yeah, uh, yeah. With all that being said, uh, let's go to some positivity. Um, yeah. Let's just run down our list. What do you do? You want to go in a certain order, or do you want to just go AFC to NFC? Yeah, let's just. I think we can switch off each. I guess uh, one AFC, one NFC team. Okay. All right. Um, let's let's start with uh, one of our wild card teams for the AFC, the team that originally we weren't going to talk about until we made a late change. We took out the Tampa Bay Bucks because we figured they wouldn't be that interesting, and we wanted to really make sure that within the ten teams we talk about today, the Super Bowl champion will be somewhere in there. And I think the list that we have has that, um, and. That team is the Buffalo Bills. So for the Buffalo Bills, they're currently 7-6 and six coming off a win in Kansas City um, on this really tough stretch that they're going on right now late in their season, trying to get into the playoffs. So I'll pass it over to you. For our player, uh, what, what were you thinking? What were players you thinking of? And then ultimately... What led us to deciding on Greg Rousseau? Well, I think, number one, uh, Greg Russo, when I've watched him this year, the thing that stood out to me has been he's excellent in his run fits and in run defense. Uh, right now, he sits seventh on pro football focus 
in their run stop percentage uh, metric uh, in the entire league. Um, he's got four and a half sacks this year. And if the Buffalo Bills are going to go on the road and win in the playoffs, I think Greg Rousseau is one of those guys who's primed for a breakout here at the end of this season. Uh, and he's going to be a very, very important part of that. But uh, the run defense um, is excellent. He's got long arms. That was one of the traits that was really intriguing coming out of the draft a couple years ago. 34 and 3 eighths inch arm length. Uh, and he's really got that ability to extend and win at the line of scrimmage with his hand placement, um, controlling blocking, controlling blockers uh, to affect run plays, getting off blocks, making tackles. Uh, his run recognition uh, is excellent as well. Um, he sticks to his keys and he reads plays out. Uh, he's just going to be a very important part of what the Buffalo Bills are going to be defensively coming down the stretch this year. Um, he is one of the better players on this defense. Uh, he sits third in total tackles against the run with 38 in the NFL, just behind my Steelers, Alex Highsmith who's been really good this year, and Sam Hubbard. Uh, and I think that's a testament to um, what he's able to do. Uh, I'd like to see a little bit more out of him in the pass rush on a consistent basis. Um, but uh, he's going to be a very, very important part of the Buffalo Bills' success uh, here in the last month of the season. Yeah, and the, the thing – that I remember most about his draft profile when he came into the NFL was he had a really interesting draft profile because of his lack of football experience. Um, I believe he only had one year as a full-time starter at Miami. And the one thing that you could always count on with Greg Rousseau, even though he didn't have that, you know, built up football IQ from experience was he always brought energy and hustle every single time he stepped on the field, every single snap. Um, and that has translated to the NFL from day one. And now that he's had a few years in the NFL to really have those physical tools catch up with his mental skills as well in terms of football, it's really all come together here. And, and we've seen that with the pass rush as well, with um, his pass rush win rate fr from football focus has gone up every single year. Um, that he's been in the NFL. And recently, I, I think um, with how Von Miller has looked, he's, he's looked a little bit limited still coming back from that ACL injury. He's their best edge rusher right now. Ed Oliver on the interior, we know he's fantastic, but um, you got to pair that with a great edge rush as well. And right now, Greg Rousseau has been that, and he needs to be that if they're going to go far in the playoffs. Absolutely. I really have nothing to add there. Let's move on to our next our next two. All right. All right. Back over to the NFC, um, where our one wild card team was the Dallas Cowboys. So I'll start with that one. Um, I decided we decided to go with Jordan Lewis, uh, the slot corner for the Cowboys. Um, and the two players that we were really deciding on was um, between him and Terrence Steele, the right tackle. 
Um, and ultimately, we decided on Jordan Lewis because of the way this defense is set up with how good the outside corners have been. Uh, we all know, you know, the story with Stephon Gilmore and um, both of our outside guys, how, how they've been playing this year. Um, Jordan Lewis in the slot is going to be the guy that gets targeted a lot. Um, so in order for the Cowboys to really defend some of these great teams in the NFC, specifically the 49ers, the one I'm worried about, we've already proven we can beat the Eagles when it comes down to it. But the 49ers, though, in the slot, if you think about it, that could be McCaffrey, that could be Kittle, that could be Ayuk, that could be Debo. At any given moment, it could be any of those combination of players. So you're going to have to really rely on Jordan Lewis to step up and be consistent in that role um, in order for your defense to really have an impact in that game. Yeah. First of all, I read a lot about Jordan Lewis in his career. And he had a – back a couple of years ago, he had a, a devastating injury to his foot uh, or I think he either fractured or broke a couple bones in the middle of his foot. Yeah. And he had to have emergency surgery uh, to repair that. And now he's back playing football here a couple of years later in an important role for the Cowboys. Um, I mean – that's really what it comes down to. Who do the Cowboys have to get through to potentially get to the Super Bowl in the NFC? It's probably going to be the Eagles. It's definitely going to be one of the Eagles and or the 49ers. And the team that they've really struggled to beat here in the past couple seasons has been the 49ers. And when the 49ers are fully healthy, they deploy all of those weapons. I've said it before. I still believe it. When Debo's healthy – Ayuk's healthy, McCaffrey's healthy, and Kittle's healthy. I think top to bottom, those are the that's like the best quartet of weapons in the NFL. Uh, there are arguments to be made there, but you're gonna have to have a guy who can come in and basically run with anybody they put in the slot. And that's what Jordan Lewis, I think, is capable of doing. I haven't watched him as much as you, but what I do know is. Uh, he's had his ups and downs in his career. I believe he's out of uh, Michigan. Michigan. Yep. University of Michigan. Uh, so he's certainly capable. Um, and with some of the injuries in the secondary, they're going to need another guy to step up. I believe okay. he's been the team captain um, for yeah, the Cowboys yeah. a couple weeks now. So he's highly respected in that locker room. Uh He's had a couple rough weeks, um, but he's also had a couple really good weeks. Um, so, And we've seen some other guys step up in this secondary in the absence of Trayvon Diggs with, of course, the obvious being Deron Bland. Um, yeah. So that's really what it boils down to is when you get to the playoffs, who are you facing in the NFC, the matchups, um, even the Lions, man, they've got a bunch of weapons that yeah. – you've got to be aware of and you've got to be able to have guys that can, that are capable in all positions. Um, so yeah, even, even the bucks, the, the NFC team yeah. we're not talking about today, 
Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, um, that that rookie that they drafted as well. I mean, they've. I mean, there's weapons all over the place. And then a say a wild card game in Tampa Bay, you definitely want to be able to rely on your slot corner. Absolutely, and say. Who are the teams that are contending right now for like the last NFC wildcard spots? Um, what if Minnesota gets in there and you got to go up against Justin Jefferson, and Jordan Addison? Um, I don't know if they will, but they're still not mathematically eliminated. Yeah. There are a couple other teams. Maybe Seattle gets it going down the stretch. They're able to sneak Green in. Bay, maybe uh, Green Bay has got, got some guys. So it's, it's important for Jordan Lewis to be good down the stretch. He doesn't have to be great. He's just got to be solid in that role. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, back over to the AFC for our second AFC wildcard team. Uh, we have the Cleveland Browns. So um, go ahead and uh, talk about what we had for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. So for the Cleveland Browns, we went to the wide receiver position. Uh, we have a combo of guys here. We have Cedric Tillman and Elijah Moore. Uh, the guy that really stands out to me is Elijah Moore. Uh, his versatility, um, especially in the slot, gives this Cleveland Browns offense another dimension. It's It, it was a great pickup in the offseason. He's been a really productive player so far this year. And – I mean, boy, has the Joe Flacco signing worked out much better than I ever thought it would. But credit to Flacco, he's he's been excellent so far. Uh, I want to pull up uh, Elijah Moore's stats real fast. So why don't you give your thoughts on this duo of players, and then I'll come back with the points that I want to make. Yeah, I mean, um, really the, the X factor for the Browns is not – either of these two guys in particular, it could be either one on any given week. It's just specifically that wide receiver three spot or wide receiver two spot that has to step up because they have Amari Cooper and David Njoku like already solidified as their one and two option. Um, and really for them to be as consistent as they want to be in the pass game, they've got to be able to work the middle of the field and have – these two guys were crossing routes and, and be able to open up the field for Amari Cooper and David Njoku to do what they do. So um, Amari and David Njoku are going to garner a lot of the attention. And because of that, these two guys are going to have to step up and be productive. Yeah. One thing that stood out to me is Joe Flacco, since he was signed and took over, he's done a really good job, not just, being a bus driver for this offense and throwing the football down the field, but spreading the football around. Yeah. Um, not only have we seen Njoku have his first two touchdown game in a while, uh, not only have we seen Amari Cooper continue to be um, really good uh, as a Pro Bowl caliber receiver when he's healthy, but David Bell has gotten in the end zone. Um, and – he spread the ball around to a bunch of different guys, including Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore this year is averaging 17 yards per catch. That's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, they just need to get him the ball more because when you flip on the tape, and I've watched the Browns 
a lot this year because I watch a lot of AFC North football. He's criminally underrated. He's a great route runner. Uh, he's got speed, solid hands. He catches the football. Uh, I liked him coming out of college. Uh, and 17 yards per catch for a slot guy yeah. is pretty damn impressive. Um, and with Flacco, the way he's able to get everyone else involved, this Cleveland Browns offense is going to become that much more difficult to defend with their running game. Yeah. Uh, so, and that defense, I mean, the Browns could be real dangerous if this continues going into the wild card. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a team that anyone wants to play. Um, there are, I think, other wild card teams out there that you would prefer playing over the Cleveland Browns the way that their defense is constructed. And if Flacco is playing anywhere close to the level that he's been playing at the past couple of weeks, but absolutely. These guys got to get open, make themselves available in the middle of the field so that Njoku gets off even more. Amari Cooper gets off even more and that will open up the running game even more. Um, so when you think about it, like this got the potential to be, Something really real in yeah, Cleveland. It really um, does. And they got to gotta get healthy first and foremost. But if they do, then the ball is already rolling here. Like they've they've got a couple of wins under their belt with Joe Flacco. And and it, they're two solid wins as well. Like there's no slouch teams that they're playing. Like they beat Trevor Lawrence and the Jags, who have been a really good team this year. And then – one of their main, you know, AFC wild card foes in the Colts. So there, there's real momentum here for them. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move back over to the NFC to talk about a team that's playing tonight in the Detroit Lions, um, a team that we've talked about extensively this season in our NFL episodes. Um, and then we'll – when we circle back around, we can get to the Eagles, but I want to change it up a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Jamison Williams. Uh, so I'll let you start on this one. Why is Jamison Williams in particular an X factor for the Lions down the stretch? Well, he's been an X factor for them from the start, but for them down the stretch, it becomes even more important just because in December football – especially with the injuries that they've suffered on the offensive line and on the interior of their defensive line. They're really going to have to rely on, you know, stretching the field within the passing game and being as efficient as possible in the passing game. So it's going to be a lot of quick passes, a lot of screen game. And without a deep threat, and I'm not saying Jameson Williams is only a deep threat. His, his game is, evolving as we speak. We saw that tonight. He's and working in the intermediate game in the middle of the field and getting more chemistry with Jared Goff day by day. But him as a deep threat is what is a real fear factor for defenses. And that is the key. Because if you're forcing defensive backs to backpedal that one extra step, that's all the difference you need. Um, that That's the space you need to get open and hit those big key plays on third downs. I think that's that's the difference. 
Um, I listen to the Chris Sims on Button podcast quite a bit, and one of the things he always talks about with the Lions is can you know can these receivers separate in one on one coverage on in tight man to man coverage, and Jamison Williams can do that. He has the speed, he has the route running, he has the ability. He just needs to do it more consistently, and if he does, then this Lions team will be right back where they should be, right there in the mix. Yeah, I mean, you're spot on. Uh, his speed, is, you can't really find it uh, anywhere else. I mean, he's one of the fastest guys I've ever watched in college. Uh, of course, he had the knee injury that kind of derailed his career a little bit coming into the NFL, but he's gotten healthy. And if he can separate downfield and you have Amon Ross St. Brown working the short to intermediate with Sam Laporta, who's really come on the last couple of weeks, he's all, he almost looks like their best offensive player at points in times. Um, that was a home run draft pick in my opinion with the the dynamite that can be David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs in the backfield, the solid offensive line. That could be something nobody wants to play in the NFC. Um, but it's not only about separating downfield and getting open downfield for Jamison Williams, as he's totally capable of doing. He's averaging 15 yards per catch this year. And of course, that being in a smaller sample size, but it's not just about that. He's got to be, good working the short to intermediate game and making plays after the catch. Um, and if he can do that, not only is this Lions team going to be a pain to defend against, but you stress the defense by doing that because they've got to tackle these guys in space. And that's not easy when you're, when you're in the cold and you have the ability to, you know, work the short to intermediate game and sort of like the extended run game, if you will, yeah. uh, stretch the defenses, not only vertically, but horizontally, like sometimes Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator, likes to do. And you got a big tight end who can work the middle of the field. You've got Amon Ross St. Brown who can do a little bit of everything, make big-time possession down catches, get open when you really need him to, is great in the red zone. And you have a running game with a quarterback that just – spreads the ball around efficiently, um, that is a recipe for success. And I think if you're the Lions, even though you're going to get um, the slot cornerback, this uh, – Brian Branch. No, um, I think they're going to get uh, the addition that they made from the, No. Uh, they, got, they got him from the Bucks, I think. Jeez, I got to look it up. But okay. uh, um, with this Lions defense, I think there's a good chance, even though I like parts of it, there's a good chance this Lions team is going to need to score some points to win games in the postseason. And uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, I think I saw oh, a report earlier this week, they're going to be getting him back here in the – soon to immediate future, at least before the playoffs. Um, so uh, that'll help defensively, but I still think this Lions team is going to have to score some points to win games. And Jamison Williams 
needs to be a big part of that. So there's yeah. that. All right. Back over to the AFC now. Um, let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, in Kansas City right now, I'm not going to say the sky is falling, but there is a little bit more, I guess, doubt among Chiefs kingdom than what we normally see in December over these past, you know, five years of this Mahomes era. Um, and I think they're, they're right to have some doubts, but the, the key for the Chiefs has been the defense all year long, and that's not going to change. Um, I think the fact that their defense is as good as it is, they're going to have a chance in every single game they play, and they're going to be close. And that's all you need when you have Patrick Mahomes on the other side. And I think um, our, our guy that we highlighted here is one of those key guys on this defense. They selected him in the first round uh, last year. So this is his second year in the NFL, um, and that is George Karloftis, the defensive end. Um, I think over the last – Six to eight weeks or so, you've really seen the the huge impact that he's had. I mean, key sacks. Um, he's he's been clutch in in key moments. I believe he forced a fumble a few games ago. I think I think it was against the Eagles. I'm not entirely. I don't really remember. Um, I mean, he's just been extremely solid. But to get to just the main reason we chose him as our X factor, I think it's just. It's the same kind of thing, uh, same reason that we chose uh, Greg Rousseau for the Bills. It's pairing that interior rusher in Chris Jones with a guy on the edge that's going to push the quarterback, force the quarterback to move up in the pocket and basically step into those sacks for Chris Jones. Uh, and when he doesn't, George Korloftis is going to be right there to finish the play. Um, it's that pairing that usually makes up a good pass rush as a team. And I think him coming on into his own and very quietly turning into a star here has been a huge revelation for the Chiefs. George Karloftis this year in his second year in the league leads um, the Chiefs team in both QB pressures and sacks. Uh, going into last week's game, he had 52 quarterback pressures. And I guess coming into this week, he's got nine sacks. That leads the Chiefs team. He's really been productive yeah. for the Chiefs. And that's important, as you pointed out. When you can get pressure on the interior, push the pocket, and have a guy that's dominant coming off the edge, that's a recipe for – success in in the postseason um in january uh and Karloftis, i mean right now with his productivity and the sheer numbers he's putting up but also just when you flip on the tape and you watch this guy yeah. and you watch chiefs games you can make an argument he's been one of the more impactful pass rushers from that draft class so far. Um, so I think he's up to now 15 sacks on his young career. 
Um, so that duo of Chris Jones and Carl Loftus uh, could be real dangerous come postseason. And I, we could get into the Chiefs team as a whole. Obviously, last week we know what happened. Yeah. Uh, they're now sitting at what eight and five. I'm not entirely sure who they play tomorrow, um, but um, what I will say is, you have Andy Reid. You have you have Andy Reid. You have Mahomes, and you have uh, Steve Spagnola in this Chiefs defense um, to lean on in times where this offense might not be a Chiefs offense that's up to the caliber of Chiefs offenses past. Uh, so I want to see the next couple weeks for sure. But uh, when you have George Karloftis along with Chris Jones uh, and this very good young secondary to lean on, um, I think the Chiefs will be okay. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's just – it's so hard to – not lean on what we've seen from them in past years. I mean, they have been the ultimate, like just figure out a way to win team for the past few years. Like that's really what they have been. Like there's been moments where they have been, they've had no business winning some of the games that they have won and they still gotten it done. Um, so whether that's going to be different this year, we'll see, but it's just hard for me to pick against that. Um, so Moving on back to the NFC um, for our last team, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, we were picking between a long list of guys for the Eagles. I think you could go in a multitude of different areas for this. Um, but for us, we ended up going with Nicobe Dean, um, the linebacker out of Georgia. I don't, I don't really have a whole ton to say about Nicobe Dean other than I think for what he's asked to do, he plays his role well. Um, but I think for, you know, December football and playoff time, if they want to get to where they want to get to, I think he's going to have to be – I think he's going to have to take it up another level in terms of, one, tackling consistency, and two, um, block shedding and just – overall run defense um not that the run defense is a problem for the eagles or anything like they're up front they are just as about as good as any team in the nfl probably top two or three on a very short list but um they're they're relying on the kobe dean to just come come in and clean up some of the you know scraps that that defensive line leaves behind because that's just not how the NFL works. Like, your defensive line can't win on the front four every single time. You're going to have to have your linebackers and your defensive backs step up into run fits and make those plays. Um, so, for him, he's going to be a key part in that. And uh, if they want to beat the 49ers and the Cowboys, they got to be great stopping the run um, in order for – the strength of that defense, which is that pass rush, to really be able to tee off and get into those obvious passing situations. Nothing you said was wrong. Everything you said was right. But for me, I was viewing it 
from a standpoint of I feel like when I've watched the Eagles, especially the past five weeks, when they've really struggled as a defense. Side note, um, the Eagles have allowed an average of 435 yards in their last five games. That's the third most in franchise history in a five-game period, as well as 29.4 points per game, second most in the league. They've allowed 15 passing touchdowns in that time span, fourth most in franchise history in any five-game span, and 306 passing yards per game, fifth most in franchise history uh, over a five-game span. Uh, They're not pressuring the quarterback, especially on third down. Um, and you talked about that, right? You got to, these linebackers, whether it's N'Kobe Dean, Nicholas Morrow, uh, whoever it is, Zach Cunningham, Shaq Leonard, who they signed uh, a week ago, not only do they need to be better in run defense, uh, but that's not really where I worry about the Eagles. It's more so, I feel like teams are exploiting these linebackers a little bit. Yeah, stretching them side to side in the passing game, sideline to sideline in the passing game, making tackles in the open field when they get a running back on a linebacker in the screen game or whatever it may be. I feel like these linebackers need to do a better job. It's not all about N'Kobe Dean in particular. It's any of these guys. We just pointed out N'Kobe Dean because I feel like he's got the t- the talent to – even take his play to another level yeah. as a young linebacker out of Georgia. Um, I feel like just from what I'm watching, teams are going after their linebackers a little bit in pass coverage, and it's hurting their defense. Now, that's not to say that there are other problems, definitely in the secondary. Darius Slay has been solid, but James Bradbury is getting cooked on the other side for the most part. He's got a 107.8 passer rating against this year uh and he's been a solid corner for them the past couple of years but this year for whatever reason it just hasn't been the same uh and their secondary as a whole clearly is struggling and that's a reason that the Niners put up what was it 42 points um and the Cowboys were able to have similar success last week I don't remember how many points the Cowboys scored but they put up 394 yards of offense um so, what was this? What was the final score of that game? I don't remember exactly. Um, it was 33 13 or something like that. Yeah, so 30 yeah. over 30 points and almost 400 yards of offense. That's been right around where teams are landing, uh, against the Eagles. And you're not going to win that way, uh, come the playoffs. You need these linebackers to step up, uh, you need other players on the defense to step up. I think they are missing for sure. This Eagles team is missing uh, Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen yeah, uh, on both, both sides of the ball. Uh, we can make an argument on who they're missing more. They're missing both pretty yeah. big time. And I don't think I in particular accounted for that uh, coming into this season as much as I should, uh, along with many other people who uh, – but even, even considering all that, they they still kind of control their own destiny in winning this division, and they can right some of these wrongs. It's just they got to figure out whether it's schematically or just players playing better and executing better how this can 
be better because right now, Shiel Kapadia, who writes for The Athletic, put this out on his Twitter earlier this week. Uh, the Eagles on third down are last in pressure rate uh, in the NFL on opposing quarterbacks. That's not the Philadelphia Eagles that we know of. Yeah. Um, so that's going to have to get better. I think the linebackers can help with that, especially an athletic guy like Nicobe Dean. And they're going to have to be better helping out in the passing game as well. Yeah, I think – yeah, you, you're definitely right. The, the 49ers game in particular, um, that was clearly a point of emphasis for what Kyle Shanahan wanted to do. They really wanted to expose that linebacker core with that RPO game and that quick passing game. Um. I think I kind of wonder if maybe they have a more of a plan for Kevin Bayard in that role, maybe Um, kind of as a box box safety slash hybrid linebacker, maybe for um, in the playoffs later on, because he is an older player. So maybe they're trying to, you know, have him play more of that traditional safety role for now and then move him closer to the line of scrimmage once playoff time comes around. Uh, but that that's something that I, I do wonder about. I think that's something where he could really improve their defense in that particular uh, facet. Okay, um, back over to the AFC now. I think there's there's a couple more teams that we haven't. There are, okay, so three more teams we haven't hit on yet. Um, that's the Jaguars, the Dolphins, and the Ravens. I'll let you take your pick. Uh, which, which one? Oh, wait. We already hit on the Browns. I'm an idiot. Okay. Jaguars, uh, Dolphins, and Ravens. Yeah. Okay. Um, which, which one do you want to hit on first? Um, let's hit on the Jaguars really fast. I think All this right. will be a quicker one. Yeah. Uh, the big news here is Christian Kirk has gone down with an injury. He's now on IR, and uh, they need a receiver to step up. So, Emmy, tell us about why we chose Zay Jones as our X factor for the Jaguars. Well, I think um, this Jaguars wide receiving core is an interesting case. Um, It's not, you know, your typical group where you have a set hierarchy that, you know, obviously evolves throughout a season, but I think – the hierarchy with the Jazz Jaguars has been fluid, maybe maybe a little bit too fluid, uh, if you ask me. But um, Zay Jones has been one of those guys that, at the start of the year, was down probably fourth on the depth chart, moved up to third. Now is probably second in targets week to week to week, um, and. Throughout his career, he's been someone who's been very reliable. Going back to his time with the Raiders, um, as a like a just a solid target, but never really broke out as a you know top two target on their team per se. But now I think with the struggles of Christian Kirk and the inconsistency with Calvin Ridley a little bit, Zay Jones I think is going to have to be. The key player. It seems like Trevor Lawrence has more trust in Zay Jones in particular than some of these other wide receivers. Now, I couldn't really tell you why that is, but I think maybe something in practice or maybe just like a, 
a trust between them um, has grown. They have a really good chemistry. Um, and uh, I think that connection is going to have to be on point for them to go far in the playoffs because we've had questions about their defense here recently. And I think if they're going to go far, they're going to have to put up, I'd say, 30-plus in each playoff game they play, most likely, if they're going to go you know, far in the playoffs. Yeah, it's – Zay Jones is a guy who's done it before. We saw it with the Raiders in Las Vegas for, I think it was a year or two. can't remember exactly. And he's just going to have to step right back into that sort of role. Yeah. For the Jaguars here. We know about Calvin Ridley. We know about the about how good he can be. But there are consistency issues there, and they need a guy who just week in, week out can take the the second most line share of the targets, catch the ball, be productive, uh, stretch the field a little bit, which Zay Jones has a capability to do for sure. Yep. He's got some speed to him. Um and as you mentioned, I think there are some chemistry. Uh, there is some chemistry there to be had with Trevor Lawrence. And I think if he steps up, this offense can go. And they're going to have to go. Because to win in the AFC, you're going up against Lamar Jackson. You're going up. You're still going up against Patrick Mahomes. You're going up against the Miami Dolphins and their weapons. Uh even some of these wild card teams, like say the Buffalo Bills, if they are to make it with Josh Allen, with a new sort of field of that offense that we've seen the past couple of weeks, with uh, Joe Brady calling the plays, even Cleveland, who we talked about, you're gonna have to score points. That's the bottom line, uh, and it's unfortunate that Kirk went down. He's been one of my better fantasy players this year, as kind of a side note, um, and. He's been a good player the past couple of years, but yeah. uh, definitely it's next guy up in that receiver room, and that guy is Zay Jones. So with all that being said, let's address our last NFC team real fast, uh, and that is Dre Greenlaw. Here's what I'll say about Dre Greenlaw for the San Francisco 49ers. He's a, he's a dog. He's ferocious. He's an enforcer. He's fearless. He's got relentless energy. Um Really good coming downhill in the run game. Um, and I think, to me, um, more so than anything, staying healthy is probably the thing for the 49ers that yeah. they just need to hold on to and be sure that they are close to 100% healthy at the very least going into the postseason. But certainly – uh, Dre Greenlaw, now that you did lose um, the safety. Um, Hufanga. Hufanga. Is that for the year? I believe so, yeah. That's unfortunate. Uh, everyone around him on this defense will need to step up. Uh, to me, there's not really a lot to say here. Um, I know how good this 49ers front can be, um, but in order, in order for it to be as good as – we think it can be. Dre Greenlaw uh, needs to be a monster alongside of uh, um, Fred Warner. Fred Warner. 
Yeah. Absolutely. I think um, one of the main reasons I had, you know, suggested him was I think what he does really unlocks Fred Warner a little bit to do what he does. Fred Warner is the guy who I think gets the lion's share of the credit out of that linebacker core uh, because of what he does in the passing game as well as the run game. Um, but Dre Greenlaw, I think, does a lot of the the dirty work, I'd say. Yeah. And not to say that Fred Warner doesn't, but um, they're just – I think them as a duo, they, they make each other better. Um, so it's really just more of just highlighting a player we think deserves more credit than really just like an X factor type of thing. I think the main thing, as you said, is health for the 49ers. I think if they stay healthy and they have all their dudes, then, I mean – they might as well have a hand on the trophy. I mean, they're they're as good a team as we've seen in the last five years, in my opinion. It's Batman and Robin. It's We know how good Fred Warner is. He's yeah. probably the best middle linebacker in the league. Definitely. But he's yeah. not as good as he is without Robin. Batman isn't as good as he is without Robin, and Drake Greenlaw is that guy. He's kind of the enforcer, does – some more of the dirty work. He's just there and he unlocks Fred Warner and all the different abilities that Fred Warner has uh, to be exploited on the football field. So uh, yeah, I mean, really what it is is staying healthy because we've seen how injuries have kind of derailed some other really good Super Bowl potentially winning teams the past five years for the San Francisco 49ers. And this might be the best 49ers team of all those teams. And if they can stay healthy, I don't know if there's a team that can beat them uh, when they play their, their B plus a game. Um, But anything can happen. So we will see. Uh, Let's finish up by talking about uh, the Baltimore Ravens and then the Miami Dolphins. So, Start us off uh, with the Baltimore Ravens and Patrick Queen. Yeah, so Patrick Queen has been, I think, he's had a really interesting arc to his career. I think the first couple years um, coming out of LSU were a little bit rough for him. He was kind of, I think at one point, benched. Um, And then there's just, they go out and trade for Roquan Smith to pair up with him in that linebacker core. And then immediately you saw a a switch flip for him. Um, He's known as a very, I guess, I don't want to say impulsive because that has like a very negative connotation, but he's, he's very reactive. Like he, he, it's see ball hit ball for him. And um, now that he has Roquan Smith behind him um, to like, I guess, guide him through what he's seeing. He's been much better as a player um, ever since they've made that move. And another reason I, I highlighted him, we highlighted him, was in that Rams game, we saw the Rams come out and run the ball 10 times on their opening drive, on their way to an opening drive touchdown. In January... 
it just it just kind of makes you wonder. Like, and I know like the Rams are a very good team, absolutely. But if say the Kansas City Chiefs roll into town in January, and you know they see what the Rams put on tape with that running game and with what you know Sean McVay was able to do with some of those jet motions that you know basically pushed Patrick Queen and those linebackers out of position on those running plays. That could be a problem. That could be a very big problem. Um, and that's that's going to be a huge key. His eye discipline, his ability to diagnose what he's seeing along with Roquan Smith, um, that's going to be a huge key to the center of that defense because we know what they are as a pass rush and as a secondary. It's just those two guys in the middle. Um, can they be consistent enough with their run defense? I think that's the real key for this Ravens defense. Yeah, I mean, they're absolutely dynamite as a tandem yeah. at the linebacker position. And this isn't the first dynamite tandem we've seen the Baltimore Ravens have at the linebacker position. Yep. Uh, the two this year have combined for 13 tackles for loss, 10 passes defended, five sacks, and two forced fumbles. So they're one of the more, if not the most productive, linebacking duos in the league. And Roquan Smith, that trade, has not only unlocked Patrick Queen, but it's unlocked everything else for this Ravens defense. Uh, the Ravens this year – are the second-best scoring defense in the NFL, giving up just 16.8 points per game. Uh, and their metrics defensively are really good. However, um, they are still giving up four and a half yards per carry. That's the 12th most in the NFL. They're keeping teams out of the end zone for the most part on the yeah. ground. But we've seen times in the past couple weeks where teams have been able to impose their will on this defense uh, and it'll be up to those linebackers uh, to read, recognize and react and make tackles in the open field in the running game. Uh, now to give credit to Patrick queen, he's 14th in the NFL in, in tackles. Now his partner in crime is up there in the top five Roquan Smith. And that's what makes this duo so great. But it's just to highlight the fact that they're going to need them to be great uh, come postseason time. Um, I like Patrick Queen as a player. He was drafted late in the first round back in 2020, kind of in that COVID time period uh, in the NFL. Uh, coming out of LSU was kind of, in my opinion, a little bit more raw as a prospect. Um <laughs> No pun intended. Uh, but he's really come on. Uh, really like him as a player. He's aggressive. Um, he's kind of what you said. I mean, see ball, hit ball, and he's doing that effectively. Um, over 100 tackles this year, which is outstanding. It's just – I think that's solo and assisted, those numbers. But anywho, that's really, really good. Um, yeah, so and – and to put in perspective what you said on the passes defended, like 
five passes defended as a cornerback is a pretty good year. And they're they're doing that at the linebacker position. So that really just puts in perspective how good those two are, you know? Yeah, and there's a reason that opponents are only throwing for 5.6 yards per pass attempt against the Ravens. Um, part of the reason is because of these linebackers. Uh, so they're absolutely fun to watch uh, on this defense, and they're going to be an important part of what the Baltimore Ravens accomplish in the postseason. All right. Okay, we've got one more team. That's the Miami Dolphins for today's episode. And why don't you start us off here? All right, so for the Miami Dolphins, we have gone with cornerback Cater Kohu. Um, so for the Dolphins, it's it's a little bit similar to the situation with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, for the Dolphins, they have two Fantastic outside corners and Xavier Howard, Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey mm-hmm. and that slot corner position um, has been, you know, the position where they've had to shuffle guys around. At first it was Eli Apple um, and then yeah. Eli Apple eventually got benched and now it's been Cater Kohu here for the vast majority of the season. And he's been really good. Um, he's been really, really good. Filling in for Jalen Ramsey, he was out on the outside and and held his own. And now going back to slot corner to his like uh, main position, um, now it's it's like he's going to be targeted. It's the same reason. It's the same thing as with the Cowboys. You have Deron Bland and and you know Stephon Gilmore on the outside. Quarterbacks always are going to. F- try to find the best matchup they can. Um, and Cater Kohu is going to be the one that gets targeted, I think, the most on that Dolphins defense, and he's going to have to be the one that um, comes through for them, I think. And and he has been, but it's it's going to have to continue if they want to go far. Um, I think if we're looking at this, like, simply, like, as, you know, if we were going to have, like, a choose, like, a regular X factor and not going with, like, an underrated player, it's probably just that offensive line as a whole, if we're being entirely honest. But um, defensively, Kader Kohu is as is as important as any player on that entire unit. Absolutely, he's a. I believe he's a second year player. Yeah, um, I think so. so. The younger guy has been really productive for them. Uh, he did struggle a little bit um, in that game against the Titans. Uh, what was that? A week ago now. Um, last Thursday night, I think it was right or Monday Sunday? night. Monday night. Monday night. Yeah. yeah. Um, but other other than that, I mean, he's been really good, and he's gonna have to continue to be solid for them. Uh, because I do think you're right with Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey. I think there will be a tendency for teams, in particular, that face the Dolphins, to try to go elsewhere. Uh, and is it Cater Kahu? Cater Kohu, I think, is Cater Kohu. Um, he's going to have to be a big part in, of that defense moving forward with the tendency of other teams to target him. Um, so I, I think he can. Uh, more so than anything for the Dolphins, though, I think it does come down to that offensive line. 
Um, but we had to pick one player, and that's who we went with. So we got through the our 10 teams in under an hour because the first 10 minutes of the episode was me talking about the Steelers. Um, so uh, thank you guys for tuning in, especially the one viewer that we've had live here for basically the entire episode. Comment down below who's who's the X factor for your team. Uh, and do you agree and or disagree with any of the selections that we made? I feel like this was a real nice change of pace uh, here yeah, late definitely. later on the season for our NFL episodes. I think what we'll do with our schedules kind of being different and us approaching the holiday season, I'm not sure what we'll do with power rankings and raw rundown with Emmy's work schedule being busy and the holidays coming up, but we'll figure that out. Uh, but I really enjoyed this. Um, I guess the last thing I wanted to, there were two shout outs I wanted to give to in the episode. Uh, the first is to the Texas women's volleyball team who tomorrow afternoon will compete for their second consecutive national championship. Um, as they defeated Wisconsin on Thursday night in four sets in what was a real dominant performance, uh, especially in those third and fourth sets. A shout-out to Asia O'Neill, Maddie Skinner, uh, Emma Halter. They're fantastic. Uh, and they're going up against Nebraska, who's a younger team, but has been the best team in the country this season. Earlier on this season, uh, Nebraska got – almost 93,000 people to attend a women's volleyball game in their football stadium. Uh, volleyball is a big thing there. And so these will be two stalwarts going at it for the national championship. And Texas, I think, is kind of in its element. Uh, they beat Tennessee. They dethroned Stanford in the Palo Alto Regional uh, to win the regional against the number one seed uh, in that regional. And then – they go on to beat Wisconsin, who was the only team to beat Nebraska this year. Um, and they did it in a dominant fashion in four sets. They really dominated the last two sets. Uh, and then tomorrow they're going to face a real good Nebraska team, but I think they're more experienced, and I'm hoping that we can go back to back. Uh, and then my other shout-out, um, this is a big weekend in high school football, uh, not only because – National Signing Day is on Wednesday, and there's a lot of stuff going on in recruiting, but state championships are going on. And today I watched Duncanville High School. This is 6A Texas High School Football Division I uh, go up against North Shore, two powerhouses in yeah. Texas, uh, in the state championship game. And the important thing here uh, – from a Texas Longhorn fan perspective is that Texas has two commits in this class from Duncanville high school. The first being Alex January, who is a four-star interior defensive lineman, really talented guy. He's a little bit more of a raw developmental guy, uh, but uh, for Bo Davis, but he's a really solid guy. Had a couple of sacks today on the interior of that defensive line. And I think, with a year or two of development, he'll be really, really good as a body going into the SEC. But 
the shout out I wanted to give was to Colin Simmons, who closed out a fantastic high school career. Uh, not only winning his second state championship as Duncanville went back to back, but he got his second defensive MVP um, in the state championship with uh, um, three sacks, a forced fumble, uh, and uh, I think it was eight total tackles. Um, an absolute beast on the edge today. Uh, and Texas is getting, I mean, this is one of the the guys of this recruiting class. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk more about Colin Simmons later on, but uh, absolute shout out to Colin Simmons and Alex January as it kind of got sneak preview of what's coming to the 40 acres uh, next year. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. Big time stuff. When, um, 93,000 at a volleyball game. That's, that's, that's sick. That like, That's dope. Like honestly, if, Texas were to do something like that. I'll pull up. It set the it set I tweeted it. it. I'll send you the tweet that I I tweeted it out. The I had a tweet about it the night that it happened. Uh I think this was back in actually early August, late August. This was right before the college football season started, in fact. Um and uh it was something else. Um you gotta watch the entrance. Uh for the, t- the Nebraska volleyball team coming in uh, to a stadium full of people, 90-some thousand people at a women's volleyball game early on in the season. Uh, and the entrance, the entrance was epic. There's a video on my Twitter feed. I'll send it to you, uh, but go check it out. It, just go back to, like, late August and you'll find it. Yeah. And, um, man, I, I'm really excited for tomorrow. Uh, I'll be, I'll of course be watching football, but I'll also believe it or not be watching the Longhorns as they try to win a natty in the volleyball side of things. And then we can kind of shift our focus to football and winning a natty in that department as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think, I think this segment was really good tonight. I think um, it really fits like the name of the podcast as well. Um, just like the brand that we want to create. So this segment will be coming back. Um, maybe we can make this into like a NFL draft thing somehow. What would um, you think of doing like X factors for basketball, like NBA as well? Maybe yeah, we can definitely do that. Yeah. Or, or college basketball or yeah, we could even do it for baseball. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities to this. Um, so yeah, um, appreciate y'all watching. Um, yeah, this, this was a really fun episode. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be back soon, and uh, I'll just I'll let you sign us off, I guess. Yeah, we'll be back soon. Keep an eye out for baseball content coming real soon, maybe even tonight for that matter. Uh, but thank you guys for watching. Like and subscribe, and um, just like the Steelers' chances of winning today, And just like what I think is still at this point, the Mike Tomlin era, unfortunately, in Pittsburgh, uh, we are going, going, gone. Peace out. Hey, but just like that Spurs losing streak, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We're going, going, gone. Absolutely. Peace out.